Welcome again. Uh, my name is Elliot Cherry. I'm the pastor here. Um, it's a joy to be with you. Joy to see those new members join with us, um, bringing the kingdom of God to Nashville uh, in this neighborhood, in this city. Um, so thank you all for joining, for trusting us. We're delighted to have you as a part of the family. Um, we have been spending a summer in prayer, spending a summer uh, exploring the spiritual discipline of prayer. And as we kind of navigate through this series, what we've done is the first couple of weeks is we've done like kind of an intro to prayer. Why is prayer so hard? What's the battle going on for prayer? Why would we pray in general? What is prayer? And then last week, Jonathan Nash, who's our pastor in the Napier neighborhood just south of downtown, came and talked to us uh, about um, the, the place to pray. Jesus says in Matthew 6 that praying in secret is the place to pray. It's not a performance, uh, but it's an intimate conversation with the maker. And so uh, now we've kind of done some intro into prayer, and now we begin the Lord's Prayer. And we're calling this series, as we walk mostly through the Lord's Prayer, um, we're calling this series Sacred Delight, Conversations with the Almighty. Because what we hope the Lord's Prayer study does for us is it leads us into the, the series title. It leads us to a sacred delight that we would know that what the Lord's Prayer spurs us onto and into is conversations with the Almighty, that prayer would go from being this rote religious thing that all of us feel like we need help in doing uh, to becoming an intimate conversation with our God and our Father, that we might go on the journey together of learning how to pray, that none of us know how to pray. Uh, and that's actually the ongoing work of the Christian is continuing to learn how to pray. Um, so uh, we begin the Lord's Prayer uh, this morning, and in the Lord's Prayer there are six petitions, six asks of the Lord. Um, three of those asks, the first three asks in the Lord's Prayer are about the Lord and his character and his glory, um, that we ask for those things to happen. And then the, the, the next three uh, requests, the next three petitions are asking the Lord for his help for our life and the things that we need. So three and three, but before he even makes, before Jesus teaches us um, how to pray through the Lord's Prayer, uh, he leads us in how to address the Lord in prayer. That's, that's what this week is, learning how to address God in prayer. So we're going to be in two different passages. We're going to study this opening of the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to go to another passage in the book of Galatians that speaks to how we are to address the Lord in prayer. So the first is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, and then the next is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. So two short passages. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 7 says this, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven. And then skipping uh, over to Galatians chapter 4, Verses four through six speaks to this address of the Lord. It says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. The Lord's Prayer. Perhaps the most well-known prayer, maybe in the world, 
Certainly if you've grown up around church or even kind of in the echo of the church, um, you've heard about the Lord's Prayer. You've heard uh, maybe it's said or prayed in, in sporting settings and teams uh, in different contexts. Everyone has somewhat of a familiarity with the Lord's Prayer and this is how it begins. It's also known as the Pater Noster. That's Latin for the Our Father. The Lord's Prayer itself gets called the Our Father. It is the Our Father, what we just read. It is known by its teaching of how to address the Lord in prayer, Our Father. This is the model prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples and teaches us on how to pray. It's also um, how we are to model our prayers. And so as we walk through it, it's not that you have to pray the exact words like it every single time you pray. It's not a bad idea, but it's more giving you a model for how to pray and what it means to pray like this. And the first thing that Jesus wants us to know before he even gets to the things we ask for in prayer, the petitions is you need to know how to address the one you're praying to. Call him our father. But it's not merely that calling God your father in prayer is the proper way to address God. It is. But it's not God in heaven saying, you have to address me this way. Call me by my right title or I won't listen to you. Address me properly. Call me sir. Call me father. Show your respect and then I will lend you my ear. That's not what's going on. There's actually something far deeper going on with this address. The opening line of the prayer is meant to teach us about the basis of our prayer, the reason why we should pray, the reason why you should have any hope that you should pray, the reason why you should believe on any level that your prayers are being heard. This is the, the address to God as Father is the basis for why the Christian should pray. See, just before he walks into the prayer, Jesus says to the Gentiles, the pagans, he's addressing them. And when he says Gentile and pagans, he's talking about anyone who is not, is not born of him, anyone who's not a member of the kingdom of God, any Gentile, anyone on the outside, any pagan, that is anyone with any spiritual background, with any level of spiritual practice on any spiritual quest, which covers everybody, anybody Typically, the way that those people pray, the ways that those on the outside of the kingdom of God pray, they have a different basis for prayer. They have a different assumption in prayer. They come to God in prayer in a totally different mindset. They have a reason, a basis for why they believe their prayer would be heard. And here's what he says their basis is. This is any spiritual person with any spiritual practice on any spiritual quest. When they address the almighty or the transcendent in in their life, they pray this way. Listen to what he says, verse seven of Matthew six. You can fill this up there. It says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think their basis is that they will be heard for their many words. The basis for all other forms of prayer is that the hope of the praying one being heard by the transcendent one is what I say and how I say it. I've got to say the right things in the right way. I've got to use the right words in the right context, in the right language, in the right spirit of my own heart. I've got to be in the right place and I've got to say the right things in the right time And if I do it that way, if my prayer language is right, then I will be listened to. It's the summary of all human religion and all spiritual quests. I am heard by the transcendent one in my belief because of who I am and how I address him. I believe, as the pagan, the pagan would say, 
the one, the one praying is only heard if their words are right. The one praying is only heard if they say the right combination of religious sounding and spiritual depth vocabulary, then my prayers will be heard. That's the basis of the pagan prayer, of the Gentile prayer. And Jesus says, that's not the basis of Christian prayer. That's not why Christians pray. That's not the hope of why a Christian believes that their prayer would be heard. The basis for Christian prayer, the reason why we believe we, we believe we can pray, why we believe we should pray, why our prayers will be heard, get this, newsflash, Christian, has nothing to do with the words you say. It also has nothing to do with how spiritual your words sound, and even this, you being heard in prayer has nothing to do with how often you pray. You don't have to speak to God enough for him to then finally want to give you an ear and listen to what you have to say. That would be, the, if that were true, then the basis for prayer is I've got to do enough things and say enough of the right things in prayer for the Lord to finally want to listen to me. The basis for the hope of the Christian prayer having any power, having any function, having any belief that it's being heard is that your prayers are listened to by your Father. What the Christian dares to believe and how Jesus teaches us to address a father in heaven is to dare to believe that my father listens to my prayers because he's my father and he wants to hear my prayers. And he doesn't base his listening to me on how I've been doing or how I've been feeling or how long I've been praying or how often I pray. He's not waiting for me to get something together to bring to him in the right package, to butter him up, to make sure he feels respected by me, to make sure that my heart's in the exact right place before I can say all the exact right words, and then he might come listen to me. No, what the Christian believes is my prayers are heard because he has decided to listen to me. That's the basis for Christian prayer. You have a father in heaven who's already listening to you. Bono was asked on his journey through the Psalms, what is one thing you've learned about God by reading the Psalms? And he said that he listens. And then he was asked, what's one thing you've learned about yourself? And he said that I don't listen enough. (laughs) Jesus tells the disciples, address God as your father. For the Jews that were listening to Jesus teach them how to pray, this would have been startling. Wait, Jesus, I can't just call God my father. That's not proper. That's not respectful enough. That might be taking the Lord's name in vain. I can't just call him father on a whim. In the Old Testament, okay, so the Old Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament, has about 500,000 words. 500,000 Hebrew words make up the Old Testament. In those 500,000 Hebrew words, God is referred to as father or some kind of analogy to being a father of Israel, a father of his people 15 times. So 15 times in 500,000 words is God in the Old Testament for for the Orthodox Jew, for the ancient Jew, 15 times God is the father. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, Jesus prays 171 times. He addresses God in some way. 170 of those, he addresses him as father. So something has shifted. Something in the kingdom that Jesus brought, he's shifting how the one, the member of the kingdom of God would dare to address God. 
170 times that Jesus addresses God, he calls him Father. And so when the disciples hear Jesus addressing God over and over and over and over and over and over again in the Gospels, and they say to him, you have to teach us how to pray, Luke chapter 11. Teach us how to pray like you pray. There's something about the way that you pray, Jesus, that's different from anything we've ever heard or practiced or believed that we could do too. The first thing Jesus wants to show him, show them, the first thing that was startling to the Jews that were listening to him is how you address God. You call him father every single time. In fact, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit. The one time that Jesus doesn't call God father, the disciples weren't even there. So for the disciples, every time they heard Jesus pray, they, call, they heard Jesus call God father. And so for Jesus to then teach the disciples how to pray, and they're listening, teach us how to do this, and then he opens up his model prayer for them. When you pray, pray like this, and the address that he tells them to have for the God in heaven, for Yahweh, is you call him Father. That's startling for a Jew, because what they just heard Jesus invite them into is this. Hey, disciple of mine, you call God by the same title that I call him by. You address him as father and I address him as father. When Jesus says our father, that's a plural possessive pronoun. You're welcome, middle school English students. That's a plural possessive pronoun. When he does that, he's including himself in the our. My father is your father. Our father we have the same father. I'm not, like the Lord sees us the same way. We're both children of the king. And so yes, I call him father, but you call him father too. He's my father, he's also your father. He's inviting us to take our place alongside of him. In the Galatians passage, Galatians chapter four that we read, verse six, this is what it's saying. Listen to this, you can throw this up there. Galatians 4, 6 says this, and because you are sons, and by implication daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son, that's Jesus, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is the Greek word, the Greek speaking word for father. The spirit of his son into our hearts to cry, Abba, Father. Let me ask this Bible quiz. What word came out of Jesus' lips when Jesus was praying, when he addressed God as Father. What, what word did he use to address God as Father? Abba. And so then when Jesus says, you call God Abba, Galatians 4 says, he sent the spirit of Jesus into your heart, and what is that spirit, how does that spirit address God? Abba. Paul and Jesus are both saying, you call God by the same name that Jesus called God by. We're commanded to call God by the same word that Jesus used. So let me ask you this rhetorical but spiritual question. Do you think God heard Jesus' prayers? Then he will hear yours too. How do you know that? Well, did God hear Jesus' The answer was yes, by the way, on the rhetorical question. Uh, do, you, do you know why God listened to Jesus' prayers? It wasn't because he used all the right spiritual words. It wasn't because he finally was able to muster up the courage to say the right things to God, and when God finally heard Jesus say the right words, then he decided to listen to Jesus. No, God listened to Jesus because he was Jesus' father, 
And he was a father who was waiting and longing to hear from his son. And so because he's Jesus' father and he's your father, he's gonna listen to your prayers too. Not based on what you've done, not based on how you've used all the right phrases to get his attention, not based on your track record of prayer being, imperf- being perfect and then you have the ability now because you've done enough religious prayer time that he will finally listen to you. No, God will listen to your prayer because he's your father. He's a father who wants to hear from you and he's not waiting on you to get your act together before you pray to him. You have the same access to God that Jesus has to God because you have the same position in the family as God. That's how Galatians 4 wraps up. You are now co-heirs with Christ. You have the same status before God that Jesus has before God. So did God hear Jesus' prayers? Yes, then he will hear your prayers too because you're a son and you're a daughter and you have a place at the table and you've been adopted into the family and you belong in his house. And so he's listening to you because he's a father and he's a good father and he wants to hear from you. That's the basis for Christian prayer. You have a father who listens to your prayer. You don't have to convince him to listen. You don't have to heap up words. You don't even have to do it enough times to finally get him to pay attention to you. He's your father, so he's already listening. And that doesn't mean you have to show him how sorry you are that it's been so long since the last time you prayed that maybe if he believes how sorry I am, maybe then he'll listen to my next set of prayers because I'm really hurting right now. That doesn't mean you have to heap up all the empty promises that you'll do better next time. That doesn't mean you have to let me get my life in order and then he'll maybe listen to me. Your father's already listening. You have the same access to the father that Jesus has to the father. You call him father. And then he says, in the opening line, he adds something else to the address as you are beginning your prayer. Our Father in heaven. So yes, you address God intimately as Father, but as you address him as the Father who is already listening to you and you don't have to convince him to listen to you and that is the basis and the hope of your praying, you also immediately recognize his infinite greatness He's a father, which means he's imminent. He's near to you. He's never left you. But he's also in heaven, which means he's transcendent. He's otherworldly. When it says our father in heaven, it's not talking about the geographical place that God is constrained to. It's talking about his royalty and his position. Heaven was a throne room. Our father who sits on the throne. He's in heaven, and heaven is the dwelling place of the divine. God is otherworldly. God is transcendent. God is not limited by our metaphysical limitations on him. He is a father, yes, but he's also a king. He's enthroned in heaven. He who dwells in heaven, that's how you're addressing him. He's above you. He's transcendent over you. He's in a different reality than you which isn't meant to make him feel far off. It's meant that you would hear that and you would go, oh, he sits in heaven. He's not constrained by space and time. He has has a view of my reality. He has a view of my need. He has a view of my storyline and the storyline of the world that may be different than mine because he has a different perspective on the world. He's able to see our reality and know our reality and therefore see my need and know my need better than I'm able to. 
This is why when Jesus is setting up the Lord's Prayer in this Matthew 6 chapter, and he's talking about the basis, you address God as Father, right before he says that, look at what he says in verse 8 of Matthew 6. He's talking about the, the pagans and the Gentiles. He says, don't be like them. We have to heap up and prove to God why he should listen to you. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Whoa. How is that possible? It's possible because he's in heaven, so he has a different perspective on you and your pain and your needs and your asks, and he doesn't even expect you to have it all packaged together right to be able to ask for the exact right bullseye of the prayer. Well, if you just asked for it this way, then I maybe would have given you what you, no, he already knows what you need. And would you dare to believe that because he sits in heaven and he sits on the throne and he has an eternal perspective, he actually already knows what you need better than you know what you need? Someone read me a quote from Madeline Engel this week. I wish I had read it myself so I could take all the credit. But um, she says this in an interview. I have a point of view and you have a point of view. God has view. God doesn't have a point of view. He has view. That sounds like bad English, but he has view, which means he has the truest and most complete and the lacking nothing view on reality. From all eternity past into all eternity future, he can see how all the storylines will come together and be redeemed one day. He has view because he's your father, but he's your father in heaven. He's not wondering and worrying how this might go, how you might turn out. He's not, he's not afraid of the same things you're afraid of. He's not losing sleep over how your life has gone thus far. He has view. And so he's at peace on his throne because in a moment he can see in an infinite amount of ways how all the storyline of all the world is going to come together. So he is sitting at rest from his view. It's been said before that if we believed that, that God has view, God has an infinite knowledge of our need and our pain and our longings and all the things we hope to see happen with all of our anxieties and the storylines that we wanna see play out. If we believe that he had view and he knew our need better than we knew our need, that we would ask for everything he's currently given us if we knew everything he knew. That's scary. If we believed that God was omnipotent and omniscient and he was our father, we would ask for everything he's already given us if we knew everything he knew. So the addressing of God as our father in heaven is meant to give us the greatest confidence in the world that God, you are my father and you are already listening to me and I have access to you because I have the same access to you that Jesus has and I'm, I'm basing my confidence in prayer on that and we come in humility saying, but you're my father in heaven and you know my need better than I know my need. I don't have to convince you to move towards me. I don't have to convince you to give me what I think that I need. I'm trusting you, even as I ask for things that I think I need, that if you're not giving them to me right now, that you know better than me. And so we take this understanding, both of these, this conviction, I'm praying to a God in heaven, then that God is also my father, and that's the basis for Christian prayer. That's how we start our prayer. That's what gives us reason and confidence and hope to pray for anything. 
And everything I just told you is true. Inerrant. I'm kidding. Everything I just told I had I didn't say one word that was off. No, I'm kidding. But everything we just talked about is biblically true. It's what the Bible would say to us about here's how to address God, here's why you should address God that way, here's what you should believe about God when you come to him. But here's what else I know. I know that whenever someone starts talking about God as father, it bumps into something in the deepest place in us. Because you either had a great dad like I did, and he still wasn't enough to fill the father hole that's inside of you. Or you had a horrific dad who ripped the father hole open even more and he left scars in you and on you that you're still recovering from. Or somewhere in between. But I know that when I start talking about God as father, what we have to bump into is the longing that you and I have for a father. We see it everywhere. It's everywhere in our, our, our society and our culture, this longing for a father, this longing for a dad. I did a little bit of research on this topic of just how many places do we see this, like it just in, like, in our generation of things we've read and seen and listened to, do we kind of bump into this father longing that's everywhere? So I borrowed some of this from several of the places that I looked this up. Um, but Homer begins the Odyssey with a son who goes in search of his father. The case has been made by one author that I read this week that nearly every Wes Anderson film is a child on a quest and that quest is born out of absence and disappointment and failure and they're on a quest of some sort to find a father or fill a father hole. I haven't seen all the Wes Anderson films, I'm not cool enough so I can't say that inerrantly but someone who has made that argument. Then I went on the Disney Pixar train. Whew, guys, man. The father longing shows up in Finding Nemo and the better, Finding Dory. The need for a father to show up and defend and protect is in The Incredibles, Lion King. Onward, whew, my Lord. Have you all seen Onward? No? Okay, you need to leave right now. It kind of snuck under the radar. Like, I think it was direct to streaming. It didn't sneak under the radar in my heart, tell you that. It, who has seen Onward, right? My gosh. I just watched it for like the third time with my kids, and I was boohooing at the end again. I know what's coming, and it, it like, whew. Started looking at some pop songs, classic songs that are, are written about this father longing, this father wound, this father hole. John Mayer sings about it in Daughters. Eric Clapton in Father's Eyes. Whew. Kelly Clarkson, Piece by Piece. My gosh. It's about when her dad left when she was six years old. Have y'all heard that song? Yeah. Have y'all seen Kelly Clarkson sing that song on some kind of American Idol reunion and, to Keith Urban? Good Lord. Have you seen Keith Urban try to watch Kelly Clarkson sing Piece by Piece? Keith may be here. I don't know. Sorry, Keith, if I'm bringing up all your father wounds. But th this is, have you watched me try to watch Kelly Clarkson sing piece by piece? <laughs> Golly. 
That's why Bruce Springsteen said himself that the cry of daddy is at the root of every rock song anyways. It's everywhere. It's perhaps why Margot Main, who's a clinical psychologist of the last 30 or 40 years, she specialized in eating disorders and she wrote her book called Father Hunger. And she uses that term to diagnose eating disorders in young women and she's saying, yes, they have an eating disorder, but what they're really hungry for is a dad. Certainly we know that father hunger and a quest to satisfy the father whole in us leads to so much more than just eating disorders. So many of us are driven in life. So many of us are successful in life. So many of us are afraid in life. So many of us are addicted in life. All because of a father hunger that won't go away. If, if you've read any biography of like any major CEO of the last 50 years, they all have father hungers. Like they're all, they're all on a quest to live up to father's expectations, to prove to dad that he was wrong, to, to get someone to pay attention to them. I haven't watched all of Succession, but I think there's some father hunger there. I think there's some father wounds that are dry. Like, it, this is what, it's everywhere. So in the words of one author that I read this week, he said, if I spend a lifetime searching for what a million ancestors before me have hunted down, does that make my longing derivative? I mean, like unoriginal and cliche. Or does it make my longing Cosmic a hunger that's been planted in the human chest. He's saying if everyone you know is looking for a father and to fill the father hunger, to fill the father hole, if everyone you know is looking for that, does that make that longing just stereotypical and cliche and it's not really real? Or is it that if everyone you know is looking for a father of some sort, everyone you know, even if you had a great dad, if you're looking for a father, does that actually mean that because everyone you know is looking for it, then it's actually been hardwired into your DNA? This is part of what it means to be human. It's part of what we lost in the Garden of Eden and we've been scraping to try to find ever since is, do I have a father? We're all looking for it. We're all looking for a fortress that would protect us, but we're also looking for a strength that would let my weakness in. That's what we want from a father. Are you strong enough to hold all that I bring? Can you hold me and protect me and defend me and be there for me? We're looking for a forgiveness from all that we've done. Would you still welcome me at your table? Would you still call me your own? Would you still let me in? And so when Jesus is teaching us how to pray and he says, this is how I want you to address God, call him your father. What happens to you? What, what, is that, what does that bump up in, in you? What, what, not up here. What does that hit like in here? Is it possible that when you hear Jesus tell you to call God Father, you have some deep, deep, deep father wounds and you're so scarred and so scared to dare to believe that God is a father because you hate your father? And I don't want God to be anything like a father because I hate my own. I've watched this for years in youth ministry when I had youth ministry and at camp and you give the father talk, the God loves you like a father. Kids want nothing to do with it. 
if God is like a father, I don't want him. Because all I know, the only tape I know is a father that took advantage of me, that was never there, that left me, that abused me. I don't want God to be my father. Or is it possible that when you hear Jesus tell you to call God father, you are in tune somewhat that you've been looking for a father and so you hear finally there might be a father. Is it a sigh of relief for you? Is it possible in your heart to dare to believe that God maybe isn't some angry pie in the sky, disconnected, absent judge? Maybe he's better than Santa Claus. Maybe he's not just the, you ask for things and hope to, maybe he's a father that you've been looking for. So I don't know what it bumps up against in you, but let me tell you why Jesus tells you to call God Father. It's not just that calling God Father fills the Father hole in you. It does. It actually goes a little bit deeper than that. In the words of one of my favorite authors, James K. Smith, he says this, every child looking for an absent, distant father is on the road to cover up a deeper desire. that such a father would come looking for them and that the arrow of hunger for a father would be reversed and the father would return to them because then we would know he was thinking about us, he was looking for us, he was loving us all along. Here's the question you're asking and I'm asking when we're on a quest to find a father to fill the father hole. Yes, I long for a father, but do I have a father that longs for me? That's what you really want to know. That such a father would come looking for them and that the arrow of hunger would be reversed. That's the deepest father hunger. Not just there's a good father in heaven out there who could be your father if you would do the right things and he would be good to you. No, you have a father in heaven who longs for you. He came to you. It's not just is there a home I could belong to Is there a spiritual place and a spiritual table I would be welcomed at? Is there a strength that is so strong it's not afraid of my weakness and it comes and finds me and then carries me home because he wanted me at his table? Is there a father like that? Is there a father that longs for me? That's what you want to know. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, one of the major prophets, the prophet is telling the reader about in their exile, one day they're gonna return from exile, but even their return from exile isn't gonna be all that they hoped that it would be. That what they're actually waiting on is not a return to their homeland, they're actually waiting on the Messiah to come. And when the Messiah comes, he's gonna bring a new covenant, he's gonna bring a new reality. And he talks about all that the Messiah will restore, and he talks about all that they've been longing for since sin entered the world in Genesis 3, and he says, yes, you're being disciplined right now and you're being sent off to exile, but when, when the new covenant comes, let me tell you what's true about your God. This will be on the screen. This is God talking to his people. It says, is Ephraim, that's Israel, my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. 
my darling child. Do you hear it? That's why the Lord's Prayer, that's why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer tells you to address God as your Father because God in Jesus, in the coming of the Messiah, and the coming of the new covenant, has come looking for you because he yearned for you. Jesus is your older brother who was sent by the Father to come and find you, to come and get you, and to come and bring you home. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is Galatians 4 that we read. This is Romans chapter 8. This is the prodigal son story. This, this is the whole story of the coming of the Messiah into the world, is that you have a father who yearned for you, and what he decided to do in his yearning for you was to send your older brother Jesus to come and get you and buy you back. that what we just heard in the prayer intro is your father knows what you need before you ask him, which means he's already seeking and arranging to meet needs that you don't even know you have yet. And guess what the most ultimate time that reality played out was? When he sent Jesus to come and find you to meet your deepest need when you weren't even asking for it. He knows your deepest need before you ask. And he already has set things in motion to meet those needs, namely sending Jesus to come and get you because he wanted you. So you know how he made you his own? Remember in the Gospels we said that Jesus prays 171 times. He addresses God in some way. And 170 of those times he calls God Father. Father. Do you know the one time Jesus doesn't address God as Father? It's when he cried out to God from Calvary and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in the cry of dereliction from the cross is the only time in Jesus' earthly life that he didn't refer to God as Father. What's going on there? He was forsaken by his Father in that moment and he bore up your sin and he bore up your transgression and he bore up your rebellion and he took that on himself and so he was forsaken by his father so that you and I could be brought into the family, adopted as sons and daughters. He was forsaken by his father so that you and I would never have to be. Galatians 4. Read this with me again, chapter four, verses four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those, buy back those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. All because you have a father who longed for you. So it's the opening line of the prayer, this address to God, it's not for him, it's for you. Every time you pray it, you dare to believe that he is not just the father you've longed for, he is the father who longed for you and look at what he's done to make you his own. That's why you call God father. It's for your sake, not his. It's that every time you pray, even though you don't always feel like a Christian, even though you don't always act like a Christian, even though you don't always believe like a Christian, Your relationship as a child of God is not based on what you have felt, done, or believed in the first place. Do you know whose idea it was to make you a part of the family? Not yours. It was his idea. It started with him. And so your relationship as a child doesn't depend on how you even feel about it. 
Your relationship as a son or daughter of God is because of God's pursuit of you in Jesus. So when, literally, Jesus is commanding you to call God Father. You call, you call him Father. We're not, we're not discussing this. <laughs> you call him Father because you're gonna need to believe every time you pray that he is still your father and he longed to be your father. That since the last time you prayed or since you got your act together or since you repented properly or since you quit doing the thing or since you finally are gonna take him serious, that's not why he's listening to you. That's not what makes you his child. Your father in heaven has decided to make you his child and that is the basis of our prayer. So let's pray to him now. Jesus, Father in heaven, who sent Jesus to us and for us, you tell us to call you Father and to give us confidence to do so. You say, you call him by the name that I call him by. You belong at this table because he went and found you. You belong at this table because by my blood, you, you now belong at this table. Did you give us courage to believe that by faith as we address you with our needs? We don't know our needs like you do, but Father, we, we trust you. As the hurricane is spinning in our minds and in our hearts and in our worlds, we trust that you are our Father. And not just that you are the Father we've longed for, but you're the Father that's longed for us. So help us to believe it now as we close in song. In Jesus' name, amen.